Welcome to the Mind Over Motherhood podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Crew, a mom to twin girls, small town family doctor, and an anxiety and mindset coach for moms and mompreneurs. Let's face it, motherhood is an adventure, and it can be all-consuming if we let it. I believe that too often we lose ourselves when we become mothers, and our lives run us rather than us running our lives. This podcast is designed for the multi-passionate, but overwhelmed mom who is ready to master her mindset, quiet the chaos, and create the life and business of her dreams without sacrificing what's important to her. Each week on this show, I'll bring expert tips, guest interviews, and a healthy dose of honesty to help you finally step back into your power and create the life you've always wanted. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome to Mind Over Motherhood. Welcome back. I'm really excited to host Millie Fox today on Mind Over Motherhood. Millie, say hello. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me. Um, So Millie Fox is a mom of two now, yes? You have Yeah. Yeah. And Goldie's your newest babe. That's right. She just turned four months old. Oh my goodness. So Millie is a mindset coach, a perfectionism recovery expert and lover of all things woo woo, which I love. And Millie helps stuck mompreneurs overcome self-sabotage so they can live the lives they were made for, which I think that is such an amazing thing that you do. And I, I like doing similar things. So I think we'll have lots to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So do you want to just get started by telling us just a little bit about yourself? I think that would be a great place. Yeah, sure. So I myself am a recovering perfectionist. I think it's a lifelong journey. I'm also an entrepreneur myself. I still own a business outside of the coaching business, uh, which is called Junior Foxes. It's a baby carrier company, which I started when my son was five months old. I've always been super interested in personal development and mental health as well. I personally went through a really traumatic childhood and had decided at a very young age that it was my mission to help people overcome these sort of traumas and, you know, mental mental health issues, but also just mindset setbacks and, and all that kind of stuff. Like I have this piece of I guess, art from when I was in grade two, and it says I'm going to be a psychotherapist on it. So um, and I was, um, I was like a peer mediator at recess, I got to wear this little like vest, and I would go around and like help people work out their arguments (laughs) on the playground. Um, So from a very young age, I've been I've been interested in in helping people in, in that regard. Skip to current day, I've spent many years, you know, learning, studying about mindset, um, and then the woo-woo part is sort of like the energetic side. Like I'm very focused on the energetics of, of life, I guess you would say, uh, and sort of manifestation, because I think it's more than just like a buzzword. I really think that manifestation is the power that you have to create the reality that you want. And it's, it's not just like some fluffy stuff. It's some really, really powerful ways to rewire your own brain. So that you're able to view your environment in a, in a different way and really take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of you that you might not currently see. Wow, I love that. And actually, that was manifestation was not something we had planned really to talk about. No. But I think hearing no. you talking about it, it might be something that we'll talk about in this episode, because it's definitely not something I'm not I I. I probably sit midway in the woo woo. Like I love it, but I'm just, I don't practice a lot of kind of spiritual or energetic things, but I'm definitely, I Mm -hmm. like love the concept of it and I love learning about it. And I love to, to learn about new ways to integrate it into your life. And I think that that is such a, it's, it's so cool. It's, it's like one of those things that you're like, everybody else seems good at it. And I haven't really quite done it yet, but it seems like something I could probably learn more about. Well, you're in luck because I am doing a free manifestation workshop this Thursday. I actually saw that. Yeah. on the end, uh, at the end, but uh, it's inter- so interesting how much overlap there is between like, just say, th- uh, therapeutic uh, processes, and then like the manifestation process. So I'm reading this book right now by a woman named Edith Eager, and it's called The Gift. And she's uh, actually a Holocaust survivor and a psychotherapist. And it's, it's 12 ways to save your life. Wow. So she goes into ways to you know, change your mindset so that you can live a better life. And as I'm reading through it, I'm like, this is manifestation. (laughs) Straight up. 
Well, and I think that's what people don't realize often is that there's quite a bit of crossover between, you know, what, you know, we might believe as more like science-y or medicine-y type stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like the more like left brain, real, quote unquote, real stuff. And the more woo-woo, right brain, kind of more creative spiritual stuff. I think there's way more overlap than a lot of, than both sides wants to even acknowledge in a lot of the ways, right? Unless you kind of are somebody that can see both sides and integrate those two things. I think Uh they've almost been seen as opposing forces in past when really, like you said a lot of the mindset stuff that you do is manifestation right it's believing and trusting and and all those sorts of things so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. yeah and there is there is science too behind it as well like if you've ever heard of um joe dispenza he actually measures like the energetic like offput of people and he measures their brain waves he measures their heart rate variability and all these different factors i guess you would say when they're doing these meditations and when they're you know focusing in certain ways and there's actually like science behind it, quantum physics that that plays a role in these energetics, which is developing at a really rapid rate right now. Yeah, it's so cool. It is so cool. I'd wish sometimes that we could be, you know, hundreds of years in the future to see where, you know, where kind of science and quote unquote woo woo, which is still science. I agree with you, yeah. right? But where they've met and where they've like yeah. really supported each other and been like, yeah, you guys have been studying, quote, you know, more or less the same thing. You've just been mm-hmm. calling it different things, right? These phenomena uh-huh. that exists are energy. Yeah. Like science is all about energy. And the, like you said, physics and astrophysics. And so is, yeah. you know, all this other stuff. So yeah, I, I think there's a reason why it's called like ancient wisdom in many ways, like because there's a reason why people have relied on it for so long. It must, some of this stuff must, must have uh, some validity, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned as well, like the recovering perfectionist, which I've often described myself as that as well. And I do agree that it's a, it's a lifelong thing and that those perfectionism habits Mm -hmm. kind of pop up, right. When you aren't expecting them or you can find yourself falling back into perfectionistic kind of traps or habits. Just before we went live, we were kind of talking about that, that sometimes the perfectionism is so deeply ingrained in our functioning that we don't actually even notice what sort of characteristics would be perfectionism or why it's bad. So can you tell me a little bit about like, what are some of the most common things that women might behave or might have their behaviors that they don't identify as perfectionism? Well, the people pleasing part, maybe. I think maybe people wouldn't recognize that as perfectionism because when we're like, we're really focused on uh, being perfect for others and we are, you know, in this cycle. So I always uh, refer to perfectionism as like a self-defeating and addictive cycle, a self-destructive cycle that we get into. And it's, that's why I say that I'm recovering perfectionist because I think it's an addiction to the feedback and, and it's an attempt to avoid shame, um, pain and judgment, essentially, right? So when people get into that, like, people pleasing behavior, which women often tend to, and they put everybody ahead of themselves, then they get into this sort of like, how much better can I be for my family? How much better can I be? Because we always have this guilt and shame that we're carrying that we're not doing well enough. And then any type of feedback that we get that isn't positive, which is inevitable, right? Like, it's life, we we cannot avoid negative feedback, Uh, then we go back to that perform, like perfect, and then we repeat again, please perform perfect, please perform perfect. Mm -hmm. And then we get trapped. But with the with the family stuff, like making yourself a martyr, that is perfectionism. And it's really mm-hmm. damaging, right? Because then we, we we put ourselves last, we neglect ourselves, we self-abandon, you know, we, we destroy our self-trust, all that kind of stuff. And then it becomes also just that much more challenging to overcome that people-pleasing behavior because the option of putting yourself first becomes an opportunity for you to shame yourself. Because it, right, Absolutely. like it becomes the failure of when that, and, and and I work with a lot of my women, like a lot of my patients with anxiety, it's so hard to break through that belief structure that, yeah. you know, your value and your good enoughness comes from everything you do for others. And to take mm-hmm. a little bit of time away from doing some things, and I'm sure you see this too in your work, right, where women are like, I can't take 30 minutes away from, yeah. right? And you're like, yeah. what? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Yeah. I get it. No, yes, absolutely. It's a self-imposed thing for sure. And the other thing too, is that there may be some feedback from the people in your family that's negative when you do start to do that, like take those time, that time for yourself. But the thing is, it's, it's because you're creating a new boundary, right? Mm-hmm. And 
the people who have previously benefited from your lack of boundaries will always have a bit of pushback when you start to create boundaries. And that's inevitable. And we need to work on our self-worth so that we can uh, you know, feel like we're allowed to meet our own needs. And mm-hmm. so we can feel when we do start to create those boundaries that like, yeah, you might not like this, but like, it's okay if you don't like it. Right. It's that yeah. piece right there that I feel I find women struggle with the most that that sense of um, not like you're letting it wash off, but that those those comments about, you know, or or that feeling that it's not okay to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the piece that a lot of women struggle with the most. And that when mm-hmm. people get upset with them, they have a really hard time letting that bounce off, which yeah, I don't yeah, know. They take it personally. It's that deep sense of kind of lack of self-worth, right? That, that me standing up for myself and you getting mad is okay for you to get mad and that it doesn't, yeah right? It's that part that I find women struggle with the most. I've done yeah. a different assertiveness trainings with, um, with groups of women as well. And, and it's the exact same. It's that in, in, in theory, they're like, yes, I'm going to say what I need and I'm going to do what I need. But what if somebody gets mad and you're like, no, somebody's going to get mad, <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's the fear. It's like they won't even stand up for themselves or put themselves first because they just anticipate that somebody's going to get mad. They don't even wait until the get mad part happens. They're like too afraid yeah. to even deal with it, to even face the possibility that somebody could get frustrated. Yeah, absolutely. Like some someone's going to get mad. And then that's the other thing too that women try to do is we try to manage everybody else's emotions for them, Right. It's like we try to like prevent them from feeling the feelings, but like, it's just, it's part of the process, right? And when I started to learn about codependency and (laughs) all all that stuff, like I think codependency is really um, like not talked about enough. Everybody likes to talk about like narcissism. Nobody likes to talk about codependency. And I don't know why, because when I, when I learned about, you know, codependency is basically feeling the need to, you know, manage other people's emotions. And there's more to it, for sure. But mm-hmm. once I learned about it, I was like, Oh, my gosh, this is what I've been doing for so right. long that has ruined so many of my relationships. Right. And it's like that. Okay, light maybe, bulb. Yeah, maybe ruined is like a little bit harsh. But like, right. some of them, yeah, like, yeah, definitely some of them. So learning some of this stuff is like, it's really it's a whole chain of, of things that helps you, um, like, set yourself free. And mm-hmm it's baby steps I think like you can't just like go all in and expect yourself not to crumble under the pressure of of you know standing up for yourself and setting the boundaries and caring for yourself and knowing what your needs are and being able to vocalize them and you know it's a lot right Mm -hmm. so it's the baby steps is to like okay I'm gonna take like like you said like 30 minutes or maybe start with 10 even totally 10 minutes might feel like a huge luxury right yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I agree with you entirely. And you're right. It's like, it does take baby steps. And I think it takes a ton of support. It takes like-minded mm-hmm. people who are either in yeah. with it or doing it with you or the co- or support of a coach, right? And I think that's absolutely. where it's really important because it's one thing to go on your own. And I've done this with a lot of my coaching clients, right? Where It's one thing where they go and they're like, well, I'm going to try to be advocating for myself. And it's, it's usually those tricky relationships are the ones that they're the most afraid of, right? It's the mother-in-law, the sister, the mom, the, you know, somebody who had that relationship has been kind of tumultuous and now they're like, okay, it's ready. I'm going to do it. I'm going to stand up for myself. Right. In a more sort of way or yeah. it's their own family. I need to start taking better care of myself. And it's really scary to do that on your own when it hasn't been yeah. your, your kind of go-to strategy, because when you yeah. make people angry, you often, I, I find women often think they're doing it wrong. Right. Yeah. They kind of yeah. think that it's, if they're going to add like, validates the fact that like oh this isn't okay for me to do because someone gets angry and then it's like oh well someone's getting angry obviously it's because I'm doing something wrong yeah and and that's where the like having somebody strong in your corner who can walk you through and be like nope let's anticipate this right when somebody goes you know and does get angry with you how are we going to handle this how are we going to maintain your sense of self-worth and get you to Mm -hmm. that point where those comments or that anger that frustration which is human, right? Which is totally human for the other person when they've been, you've essentially taught them how you can be treated. And then you start to advocate differently. People don't like that. They like what they can predict. They like you when you're right. And to to get them to the point where they can learn to like, let it kind of wash off. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and not get defensive about it. Right. Because then that's just going to escalate the situation and it's going to snowball and then you maybe you'll end up giving up you know, like, okay, well, that's just not going to work. I don't want to fight with my partner, or that's just not going to work. I don't want to cause drama in the family, you know, 
but you can learn strategies for how to not get defensive. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think it all really comes back to self-worth. <laughs> Actually, which is a really good segue because that's what I was going to ask you next, right? Is because I think self-worth, I, I actually, I'm in the process of writing my a manuscript and, and that's one part of my manuscript that I talk about is that I don't think that we don't want to take care of ourselves. I don't think that, you know, we don't have time to take care of ourselves as well. Some of us don't, some of us are very busy, but like for the most part, it's actually this pervasive lack of self-worth. It's like kind of mm-hmm. a little bit of a secret virus among women, right? Like we, yeah. we need to really bring that to the light and realize that it's not that you don't have the time to take care of yourself. It's that you actually don't think you're worthy of taking the time to take care of yourself. And that's yeah. the part of self-care that, you know, I, yeah. I remember there was an article that said like, you know, burnt out moms need more than self-care. And I'm like, yeah, they do. Like we tell them to take yeah. time for themselves, but it's actually, that's the behavior. That's the expression of this belief in your own self-worth. Yeah, absolutely. And self-love is like a really hot topic right now. Confidence, right? But like, yeah. I think that you need the foundation of the self-worth to be able to build upon and to to feel the confidence you know and when we talk about self-love I think that for a lot of people that feels like almost like an inaccessible concept because they don't feel warm and fuzzy like Mm -hmm. we like when you think about love you think about warm and fuzzy in, in a lot of ways and I always like to say to people like let's start with love viewing love as an action rather than a feeling and that's how you can take responsibility for it mm-hmm. because you, you have to dedicate yourself to performing loving actions toward yourself, whether that is self-compassion, mm-hmm. a practice to, you know, be compassionate towards yourself in those times where you are being hard on yourself, you know, mindfulness, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff to really, to, to notice, to slow down, to be less reactionary and to, to notice where you need to, to have those little actions and behaviors to build up that self-worth. And I, I think that the biggest pillar for self-worth is self-trust, right? Because the opposite of self-trust is self-abandonment. And that's what we're all doing. We're, we're all abandoning ourselves by getting into this people-pleasing, codependent, perfectionist cycle. Uh, and when we can just focus on that building up of the self-trust with these loving actions and learn the strategies of self-compassion, then we are starting to build up that really strong foundation. The the feelings of warm fuzziness towards ourselves or the, you know, the powerful feelings of confidence are kind of a side effect mm-hmm. of doing that work. Mm-hmm. Now, you kind of, again, segued beautifully into my next question, because what I was going to ask is for people like you and I, women who like you and I who do this kind of work with women, these concepts are very clear to us, right? Like the concept of self-worth and the concept of yeah. confidence and all these things are very clear. And we know what that feels like, because a lot mm-hmm. of the times we have it, we still struggle with it, as all women do, probably. But, um, you know, but to somebody who's listening, who a lot of these concepts to, I mean, I know some of the clients I've worked with before are very obscure. Right. Yeah. And to hear yeah, oh, even yeah. right to hear even talk about like, well, what do you mean by self worth? Right. It's just very yeah. obscure. So I like mm-hmm. to make things as kind of as practical as possible without getting too specific. Right. Yeah. But do you have exercises or strategies or or things that you recommend for women to one start to get a sense of you know where am I at with self worth? Right. Like because it's something that we can't really define. It's a feeling of worthiness. Right. Mm-hmm. But if a woman wanted to be like, do I, do I feel worthy? Right. Like how can she figure that out? Like how can she kind of get a measure on that for herself? Right. You know what? You're giving me a great idea for some, uh, for some content, like a freebie <laughs> checklist quiz type situation. Cause I don't currently have anything like that, but I think it would be really valuable, but I always kind of recommend journaling. Cause I, yeah. you know, I, you're right. I have noticed this. I use the term self-worth a lot and I feel like a lot of people don't resonate with it. And there have been women that I worked with who I got them into my coaching programs. And at the end of it, they go like at the beginning, they said, Oh, I don't have a self-worth problem. And I was the same way it was like I like myself like I obviously on paper I'm pretty awesome you know (laughs) on paper Um, but it's not about on paper right it's not about how well you're performing in life so I guess that would be a good place to start is where are you getting your validation from Mm. are you getting your validation from uh, how how good of a mom you are like how well you make your kids lunches and how like are you getting your value feeling valued from the tasks that you perform in your day to day? Are you getting at the end of the day, do you feel good or bad about yourself based on how much you accomplished in the day or how productive you felt you were? 
are you getting your value from who knows, like social media? Do you feel do you base it on how many likes you're getting or how much engagement you're getting? Um, like yeah. just if, if you're basing your worth or your value on anything external, you know, you've got self-worth to work to do. Mm-hmm. So if you're a perf- perfectionist, <laughs> you have self-worth issue. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's where you're getting your feedback from is from, you know, your accomplishments, your achievements, all that kind of stuff, which I can fully, fully, fully relate to. And that's why I'm here is because that was me and as a response to my childhood trauma. That's the direction I went in. And the fact that I was not getting what I needed at home, I became a straight A student. I was in every extracurricular you could imagine. I had the job. I had like all the little checklist things about what a person, you know, who's doing well in life has or does. I was striving for and I was so exhausted. By the time I was 17, I just like completely burnt out and went into like a super depression and also developed crazy anxiety, which we were talking about before. So I get the anxiety piece too. Mm-hmm. And I think perfectionism is totally related to anxiety because when you're oh, yeah. a perfectionist, you try to control everything. And an anxiety is like a lack of control, right? And like you mm-hmm. feel like, oh, I can't control everything and it's freaking me out. You know, it's this uncertainty which is inevitable, like, especially right now, the world is so full of uncertainty. And if you're, if you're trying to control it all, then you're gonna, you're gonna feel Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, no, 100%. I love everything that you said. I think that two things like the one about, you know, if you're if you're checking your worthiness, or your good enoughness based on what you accomplish, which is huge. And I think that that our world is almost set up in that way, right to, you know, get a to do list and have your journal Mm -hmm. and you check off all your things on your bullet, you know, and that's all very good. And I love journaling. I'm a huge fan of journaling too. But you know, it's a bit we're very productivity obsessed society. And so it's very easy to fall into my productivity equals my worth. And that's why Mm -hmm. when women, you know, when you're like, Oh, I had a really lazy day today, you feel bad about yourself right and 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 that's that could be a signal of a self-worth problem for sure and so I love how you conceptualize that the other thing I was thinking about is a lot of women may kind of consider their self-worth based on their appearance right did I eat properly right did I exercise absolutely did I take care of my external appearance and then how did I miss that yeah which I know (laughs) would have come to mind for sure because you do all about the body self-love and all that sort of stuff so but it was just as you were talking that kind of came up for me I think that's another Mm -hmm. one too right so if you find yourself did I fall off my diet today and then feeling bad then you put you do I believe you have a self-worth problem Mm -hmm. but it's essentially anything if, if there's anything that takes you that's external to you which is exactly what you said right that makes you feel less worthy when you should have your should was a terrible word but ideally we would gather our worth from internal right from it's it's an inherent yeah. worth is that you're worthy inherent. by existing inherent worth that is right that's the yeah. word that I like to use too and it's also like I used to have I used to struggle with the concept as well of like the I am enough thing right like you hear I am enough I used to be like well enough is like baseline like that sounds like an insult like I mm-hmm. don't want to be enough I want to be more than enough I want to be right. awesome I want to be excellent you know what I mean But when you come back to that, the enough is like, as you exist without anything else of your identity, um, without any of your roles, that being that exists there, like that inherent, intrinsic, whatever it is, that is just perfect, perfectly enough. Like, right. Not per- not perfectionist, but perfectly enough, just the way it is. And if you if you're thinking like, well, I want to be more than enough. That's because you're striving for mm-hmm. the status, the achievements, the whatever. So if you're thinking that way, that's something to investigate for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, the word worthy, I think, is another thing that people kind of have a, have trouble with. Like, am I worthy of the time? Maybe maybe deserving, you could swap it out. Like, yes, mm-hmm. you, you deserve it. Absolutely. You're not mm-hmm. entitled to it, maybe. Maybe it's not like you're right. But you need to definitely navigate the sort of spaces where it's a give and take. Like you still, yes, you can be flexible. Uh, I, I think I posted this in my stories this morning with a quote. It's about generosity. Like generosity is not actually generous when you're giving like every single thing that you have because you're right. draining yourself. And then yeah, you can't, you can't keep giving from an empty cup. Type yeah situation it's essentially finding that balance where 
um, I, there's another quote too, we're all about quotes clearly, but one of yeah. them, you know, it's that it's not, um, doing self-care isn't putting yourself necessarily, it's not saying me first, it's saying me too. And I think that's kind yeah. of, what you're say. it's like, we're not advocating for a generation of, well, maybe we are, I take that back, but like, we're not advocating for a bunch of like people to be selfish, selfish bitches and not care for their family. That's not what we're saying here. We're just no. saying like, like, let's bring it at least equal, right? We're like, yeah. that, that you are just as worthy of your time as your family. Let's yes. make it there. Let's yeah. start there and then we can move up from here because like I mean the rest of us some of us are like oh no hell no I'm gonna be selfish now right like we've I've been unselfish for too long and it's totally okay and we need a generation of women that are gonna be like that yeah a little bit more you know like powerful and in kind of like taking what's rightfully rightfully ours but if that's out of your reach right now that's okay let's just start with equal to the rest of your family's needs (laughs) yeah yeah like I like the way that Glennon Doyle puts it in her latest book she talks about how the world doesn't need any more selfless women yes and uh, I can't remember what the rest of it was but the the word that always came to mind for me that when I like read that um, I guess it's a chapter she has these tiny little chapters is that we need to be self-full like yes full of yourself self-full self-full instead of selfish it's not selfish it's, it's that we're we're so um like focused on embodying our our truest authentic most authentic self and meeting the needs of that authentic self that mm-hmm. we are indeed full of who we are and we love that and we want to protect that so it's it, the boundaries are not like to keep other people out necessarily the boundaries are to the, the way that I came to understand boundaries was that that boundary is where you end and someone else begins right so we don't want to be shrinking ourselves for other people. We want to be maintaining that self. Yes. And part of that is speaking our needs and mm-hmm. having the compassion and showing up for ourselves. So showing up for yourself is like keeping your word for what you're, you said you're going to do. If you said you're going to exercise 20 minutes twice a week to do that, you know, if you said you're going to start going for a walk at, on the evenings like don't punish yourself if you didn't do it but don't make mm-hmm. these excuses and and abandon yourself and not show up for yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely yeah no I'm glad you kind of explained those things because I think those are also phrases that that are thrown around a lot in the mindset world for people who do this work a lot or who yeah. you know help other women do it it makes so much sense to us whereas again a lot of women might not connect those words right like what do I mean showing up for myself right that it's so obscure again so I I, so I'm really glad that you expanded on that yeah and the boundaries thing too is another Mm -hmm. one that I think that I I struggled with that sorry I interrupted you what were you gonna say no that's okay I was just gonna step back which we don't have to but I was just gonna step back quickly because you talked about anxiety and perfectionism being connected Mm -hmm. and and I actually talk about a perfectionism anxiety cycle because Uh. like the nature of perfectionism is trying to be perfect which is by nature an unachievable ideal mm-hmm. and so we get anxiety about trying to be more perfect that is impossible right because you can't yeah. achieve perfection and then when Unfeasible. we fail to fall short of it like when we feel when we fall short of that of that goal we then feel anxiety about not being perfect enough right yeah. and so we, we're, we're anxious about being imp- being perfect we're anxious about not being able to be perfect and it's just this whole cycle of you know we, we fear not being viewed as perfect when we're perfectionists, right? And so then that causes excessive anxiety. And, and so mm-hmm. I think like when you said that they're so connected, they are. And so maybe yeah. another way as going back to our very early, earlier part of this conversation, we were saying like, how do you know if you're a perfectionist and you don't know it? Like, do you feel anxiety about not looking perfect? Do you feel like, do you get worried about what are people going to think if they see me show up to, you know, school drop off looking like a, you know, a mess or something, right? Like, are you worried about that, that perfect kind of composed self not mm-hmm. being right being yeah. exposed yeah yeah but- per- perfectionism shows up in so many sneaky ways too like I've had a, a few women go like well I'm not a perfectionist like far from it you know I'm a hot mess <laughs> yeah but you know in some areas you still might have that perfectionism showing up like maybe you're cool with showing up for school drop off you know with your mom bun and your you know same black tights and stained t-shirt every day <laughs> yeah but then when it comes to like I don't know some other area of your life like your your job or you know your who knows how you fold your laundry or <laughs> like, yeah yeah there may be like these other little areas where it rears its head 
that that are maybe uh, less um, obvious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. And then you you segued into into boundaries, which is one of my favorite topics of all time. And I think okay, another, another concept that are that's a bit obscure to people sometimes, yeah. right? Like yeah. I often have women tell me like, I don't need to work on boundaries. I'm very assertive at work or I'm very assertive at, you know, in, in, you know, when it comes to like, you know, my PTA or whatever. And, and the reality is I think it's a misconception that being like having good boundaries outside of your home means you have good boundaries in general, because I find the women that have to do the most boundaries work are actually in the, they'll say, well, I'm just not good at boundaries with like my mother-in-law. And you're like, that's exactly where you need them because it's harder. Yeah. It's not hard yeah. to put up boundaries with people that you don't care about their perspective. You don't care about yeah. their opinion. That's not the hard yeah. part, right? Yeah. The boundaries are hard in the relationships where you feel guilty. You feel yeah. like you have to do things or you, or there's a lot of passive aggressive kind of like interpersonal communication, right? It's the tricky uh-huh. boundaries. And I can't tell you how many times people are like, I'm really good with boundaries until it's this one relationship. I'm like, it's those relationships that you need them in the most. That's where boundaries exist. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally understand what you're saying. And it, it, this is part of a conversation that I was having this week too, about like being your authentic self and how it's easy. I just, posted about this last night how it's easy to not care what the general population thinks about your authentic self but when it comes to your family that's a whole lot harder when they start to you know judge you for acting in certain ways or you know okay so being your authentic self that's another maybe con like word that is tricky right like so mm-hmm. who is my authentic self is she a bitch <laughs> yeah yeah no that's not what it means at all it just means like are you honoring how something actually makes you feel your mm-hmm. feelings are who you authentically are are you able to speak your feelings to your family members clearly and honestly without fearing you know repercussion or shrinking because you're afraid that the the blowback is going to be you know too much for you to handle or that it'll be too painful for you because the judgments you, like you take them really personally that kind of thing right because like it's hard for your family members to watch you change mm-hmm. it's hard because it's scary for them because they think they're going to lose you right and you know in some cases that may happen unfortunately mm-hmm. um in my case, yes. Like mm-hmm. I have parted ways with many family members because they've judged me really harshly and it's been painful. I'm not going to lie about that. Like, we're not going to say that like, fuck them, you know, mm-hmm. sorry, I swear. Um, they can go eat it because yeah, you're important type situation. Like, no, like it's going to be hard because you care about those people and mm-hmm. you don't necessarily want to lose the relationship. But for me, First of all, I recognize that the people who are judging me that way, first of all, they don't actually really, really know me mm-hmm. anymore. Like maybe they knew me when I was younger, when I was a kid, whatever, but the, the closeness is not really there. And the, the true like knowing of, of who I really am has fallen away. Mm-hmm. So when they start judging me, I first, I kind of like assess that and I'm like, well, do they actually know the true heart of mine? Mm-hmm. No, they don't. And if you think that somebody does really know your true heart and they're still judging you that way, it's probably because they have their own pain and like misconceptions about how someone's supposed to operate in the world in order to get love or approval or whatever. And you're going against those beliefs that they hold. Mm-hmm. So it's not actually about you and like the truth of who you are when they judge you. It's about their perspective. It's about the lens that they're looking at you through. Mm-hmm. Take the lens away or just imagine them holding a lens up to their face and looking at you because it's not the truth. It's mm-hmm. not the truth, right? So if we have self-worth and we know who our authentic self is, then we can, like, we can mitigate those blows a little bit more and we can understand that like, I want to be loved for who I really am. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I want the people in my life who are willing to go through this journey with me, learn who I really am, get to mm-hmm. know me on that level 
and really love me for that person. And mm-hmm. if you can't do that, if that person, if that family member can't do that, then it's healthier for you to let it go, unfortunately. Yeah. And and my motivation, like, really, my mission has been for my children because I want to heal the intergenerational trauma and I want to raise them with a healthy parent so that they understand how to live because children, they, they mirror you, right? Like they, they see how you treat yourself. They see how you interact with the other people in your life. They see how you interact with your other family members. And that's how they learn what's okay. That's how they learn how to let other people treat them. Mm -hmm. Like, and my true, true belief is that self-worth issues are like you said, it's like a disease, right? Like it's a sneaky thing. I think that healing our worth and coming back to that place of love will be a huge way to heal the world. Like Mm -hmm. if we didn't have so many people acting out of scarcity and fear and shrinking, Mm-hmm. we would have so much less violence, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it really had such a huge impact, like drug issues, mental health issues. Absolutely. Like, so many things would be healed if we could just do this. So it's not selfish. Right. It's not selfish. It's not like, hey, I'm number one. Screw you, family. I don't right. need you. I'm going to do me. Like, that's not it at all. It's like, this sucks. This is really painful that I'm losing you. But I have no other choice because this needs to happen in the world. I need to be an example for my children, but for everybody else to see that this is the way that we need to be within ourselves to have that like ripple effect and create such a positive impact throughout the world. 100%. 100%. And I love that because I like we spoke about before that women often struggle to do things for themselves. So if you're struggling and I say this to my clients all the time and patients, I say, you know, if you're, if you're struggling to find the strength to advocate for yourself, put up boundaries around toxic relationships, you know, even though it's against what you're supposed to do, quote unquote, right. We're all just supposed to like silently go to that really uncomfortable Sunday dinner and pretend we're happy when really nobody wants to be there. And everyone feels awful being there. That sort of like mentality, Mm -hmm. right? Like the, the obligation of dealing with family members that are not healthy or who refuse to see you as your authentic self, who refuse to see that we're all on our own journey, you know, all these different things. If you struggle to find the strength to do that for yourself, then use your kids, right? Because unless you want, and I say that to clients all the time, do you want your daughters to feel how you feel now in regards to like the relationships in their lives? Or do you want them to feel a place of come from a place of empowerment to say, it's really unfortunate that this person who is connected with to me by blood or marriage, right? It's really sad that that person and I can't have a healthy relationship, but that my self worth is more important to me than to shrink or keep putting myself into that situation, right? Where I feel Mm -hmm. uncomfortable, or I feel like I'm being taken advantage of, or I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm being, whatever it is, right? Wherever you Mm -hmm. go and you feel like, man, this sucks. Like, I don't like being with these people. Stop Mm -hmm. being with those people. It's okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Or like, just learn learn the boundaries that you need to put yeah. in place in order to maintain those relationships. Yeah. And to understand that I, I feel like a lot of people, I'll ask them, you know, well, why do you feel like you must have a relationship with that person? Well, they're family. So I should. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, yeah. I think you would agree yeah. in some cases, right, uh-huh. that sometimes family is some of the more toxic relationships in your life. So well, why? Listen, I, 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 okay, I'll just put it right out there. I, I have no contact with my mom. Right. Because it's not a healthy relationship. And that has been one of the hardest things for me to come to because it's your mother, you know, like that is like the foundation of your family and the first relationship you ever have. Right. Like, yeah. So I, I really, really had to put a lot of thought into that decision to be no contact. Right. Um, so I've had the family members, you know, guilt me for not speaking to her. You know, I've had her, you know, beg me to talk to her and yeah. it's it's very difficult, but it's been a decision that's been made several, like there's been multiple things that have happened and it's, you know, I've talked to her, I've gone back to no contact. I've talked to her, I've gone back to no contact. And what it comes back to again for me is, is my children. Like, yes, unfortunately I'm depriving them of a grandmother. Mm-hmm. However... I'm giving them 
so much more because Mm -hmm. they're going to see that I'm not caught in that like unhealthy cycle of letting her, you know, act in certain ways. I'll just use the word abusive ways Mm -hmm. towards me Mm -hmm. and let my children see that I'm going to allow myself to continually be abused. Right. So the thing that I worked out with my therapist was that it doesn't make me a better daughter or a better human to prove to anybody how much with uh, how much abuse I can withstand. Yeah, that doesn't make me a better daughter. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it doesn't make you a better person to be treated badly on a continual basis. Right. And and wonder why you keep going back and being in a relationship that you tr- be feel badly about. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I love yeah. that you said that. I think it's so, so, so important for women to hear that story. Right. Because like you said, that is the biggest relationship in a lot of women's lives and a lot of yeah. people's lives is their mother. Right. Mm-hmm. And I know people who have done similar things with sisters or or mothers. Mm-hmm. Right. And they care. And, and a lot of people carry a ton of guilt. And it's yeah. often a like, am I making a mistake? Am I making a mistake? Yeah. But the point that you made of like, look at what you're giving versus what you're taking away. And yeah, it is sad. But is it sad because it's a societal like, oh, poor, you know, they're not going to get a grandmother. And yeah, that does suck. It is sad, right? But on the flip side, how much more important is it for your kids to see a woman who refuses to be repeatedly abused? Like, nope, sorry. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to shed that societal like should that I should have a relationship with my mom. And that's what I hear all the time. Well, I probably should have a relationship with her. Well, yeah, okay, if that's what you want. But let's define it then. Define it in a way that you still feel okay having it. Because if you should yourself into a relationship that feels like crap every time, really, what are you getting out of it? Right? Oh, yeah, Yeah. for sure. I I, agree. I've I've considered it from every angle I can possibly consider it from because I've been going through this for, well, my whole life. Life. (laughs) Um, But but like as an adult, at least a decade. And yeah, I, it, it's hard because, and then to add another layer on it, uh, my mom isn't well. She, mm. she probably doesn't have a ton of years left. So I, I've got that on my shoulder as well. Like, well, what if I regret this? You know? right. And some yeah. people might have that too. Like, well, what if something bad happened? Would I, would I feel like so much regret if, if anything happened after, after the fact, you know? And you, you, you can consider all of those things. You can consider yeah. how much by how much am I giving here and how much am I taking, you know, giving up, how much am I getting? Like, it's not just transactional, you know what I mean? Right. But like, yeah, yeah there, there's yeah. a lot, there's a lot of layers to it. And it does get really serious for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, and it's deeply personal, right? And I think that's the reality. Absolutely. And I love that you said you don't have to prove how much abuse you can take. And, and I also think you don't have to justify why no longer taking that abuse or why that abuse was enough for you to do this, right? Because yeah. I think then, you know, external observers, other family members, whatever, they tend to kind of qu- like, you know, qualify in their mind, whether what you've experienced is enough for you to you know, yeah. break from a relationship. And really that's no yeah. one's rule. That's no one's right to tell no. you, right? You like no, your experience is, is yours. Yes. And relationships are complex and there's so much like you, you know how you can say, you say um, people say like, Oh, you never know what goes on inside a home. Right. Like people can look a certain way from the outside. You can see how people interact when they're out and about or like on social media, how they present themselves but you never know the complexities of a relationship dynamic within that dynamic, like personally, person to person. You don't know the like the history, the timeline, all mm-hmm. the little things that have added to it that have brought the, those two people to where they are, right? right? You only see it from the outside. So it's, yeah, exactly. It's up to the two people within that relationship, unless they go to like a, <laughs> a couples or a yeah. counseling relationship uh, and- cycle. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think as much as you also like don't know what's happening behind closed doors also doesn't mean you're entitled to know. Right. And I think that that's important. Right. In in the women that are hearing us talk and be like, wow, like that's a big deal. Like to, you know, cut out your mom or cut out a a family member that's close to you and that sort of thing. Like no one's really entitled to an explanation when you decide to make that decision and you don't need to. And that's also comes down to boundaries and assertiveness. Right. Is like I see boundaries as what are you responsible for versus versus what are somebody else responsible for in a simplified way. Right. It doesn't have to be cruel. And it doesn't have to be malicious and it doesn't have to be unkind. You know what I mean? Like it might feel cruel to the person who's experiencing it, but you can know in your heart that you're not being cruel. You're actually like in, in some situations, probably not all you're actually 
doing something positive for that person as well, because mm-hmm. you're also showing them that boundaries can exist. Mm-hmm. You know, and and maybe they they may learn that lesson, they may not learn that le- lesson, but at least it's there for them if they're totally. ready for it. But yeah, you don't have to prove it to anybody. I I've been under that pressure, you know, to and somebody at one point suggested, well, why don't you share the the emails or the voicemails? Show everybody the way she really is. Well, first of all, I don't want to do that because that would make me feel like icky to do mm-hmm. that. Like I don't need to broadcast her worst moments for everybody to see you know I actually talk about this less and less because I know that the word gets back to her that I'm talking about her and and I don't want her to feel those things but at the same time like I know that by sharing bits of this story that is really helping a lot of other people because especially with this mother-daughter dynamic it's really taboo it's mm-hmm. really, really taboo. And I get people in my DM saying, I have the exact same thing. Nobody understands. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I've had similar when I've had discussions about relationships and boundaries and all these different things. And people message the same thing saying, but how do you do that in that relationship? How do I do this? How can I? And I'm like, that again, going back, that's the relationship that we're talking about here, right? It's not like are your coworkers. Like we're talking mm-hmm. about real relationships that are close to you. And that's why that nobody matter. does it, right? Because mm-hmm. it's very uncomfortable to start put boundaries yeah. up. It's very uncomfortable to not take that abuse anymore and to start being like, wait mm-hmm. a minute. You know, I don't need to take that. I don't need to take this abuse anymore. And do I need to keep spending time in a relationship where I feel badly? And I think that really comes again all the way back down, like you said before, to self-worth, right? Is that Mm -hmm. if you have self-worth, you really believe that like there's no reason why you need to keep going back to a relationship and be repeatedly abused when it's predictable, right? (laughs) Like, you know, and and we often do this. So many of us do this. Like, I mean, I, I had an interview back a couple weeks now we were talking about this in the context of romantic relationships, right? Is that like that we get abused and it's this cycle of like, do I need to be doing this? Why am I doing this? But we still keep doing it. And if that's you, that's okay, right? It takes us some time before we figure things out a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. right? Like we have to do things over and over again before we learn Mm -hmm. the lesson. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's part of growth too, right? Nobody wakes up one day and just says, I'm done with my mother, right? Like it takes years and years of learning and um, yeah. you know, and, 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 and trying lots of different things, right? We're yeah. not saying cut yeah. somebody out immediately. We're saying and if you get to the point where you realize like, okay, this isn't a fixable relationship, that it's okay to, yeah. to cut that relationship. And another thing too, that's sort of helped me mentally um, with this decision is that I used to say, I'm never talking to her again. I'm, this is done. This is the end. We're done. I don't do that anymore because for me, it puts a lot of pressure on me to say mm. that, to, to, to mentally like decide that that's it. We're done for right. good. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, I mean, in a, in a, in a marriage, that's kind of a different thing because, yeah. you know, that's a legal situation, but with, with other family members, you can go no contact for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And you also don't have to make it this big dramatic thing where you let them know that you're going no contact. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I used totally. to do that too. I used to say, that's it. Like, I'm not talking to you anymore. Don't email me. Like, don't call me, whatever. And you can't control someone else's behavior, first of all. I don't make it a big dramatic thing. Like the last time I decided to stop like communicating, I just literally decided after whatever I received, I'm not responding to this. And I will not respond for as long as I feel necessary. Mm-hmm. And I have yet to respond to anything. And it's been quite mm-hmm. a while now. But the, like setting the, the, the quote unquote rules, like I've asked, please don't email me. Please don't call me. You cannot stop somebody. You can try mm-hmm. to block them. But these days, there are so many different ways to message somebody on so yeah. many different platforms. that you, <laughs> you, You'd be it's like whack-a-mole. Blocking people, Um, but you, what you can do, what you do have control over, is your response to when that does happen. So if you do get a voicemail, are you going to listen to it, or are you just going to hit delete right away? Are you in a place where you can handle listening to it, or are you not in a place? Do you want to, you know, immediately delete the email when it, or you want to continually block, or do you just want to let the emails come in? You know, like set some ground rules for yourself for how you want to navigate those relationships. That's boundaries, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
I kind of, I really love analogy and, and I think about, I don't think I've shared this yet, but I think about like boundaries and that kind of allowing what you allow in, what you allow out. For some reason, mm-hmm. the, the image of like a castle or like a stronghold yeah. kind of comes to mind, right? Yeah, and I think with a moat, right? And, and, and like, you're in your own stronghold. And thankfully, if you, you know, if you've done a lot of personal development work, you've developed a lot of like, you know, pillars in your stronghold, right? You've got like your meditation practice or your exercise or your whatever that that's what keeps your stronghold strong, right? That's what keeps your Mm -hmm. castle strong, right? Yeah. And then you have your moat. And your moat is like your boundaries, right? And maybe there's crocodiles in there. I don't know. But you have this moat, yeah. right? Yeah. And and the moat is is saying like, this is what, you know, outside of there, outside beyond the moat is what I have boundaries against, right? Yeah. And, but then there's a drawbridge. Yeah. And you have the drawbridge down over the moat. And I think that it's it's really important to keep in mind that you, like, it's not the other side of the moat that controls the drawbridge. It's us that controls the drawbridge, right? In mm-hmm. your stronghold. So you can decide yeah. what you allow into the stronghold or not. And both, yeah. like, both in your actual external sphere, like messaging, you can't control whether it comes to you, but you can control whether you let the drawbridge down and whether you let exactly. it come in, right? Whether you actually yes. bring it into your into your mind. And I often say, yes. like how you said, you know, are you going to listen to the voicemail? Are you just going to delete it? And it takes a, a lot of being mindfully aware of where you're at in your own mind to know, like, yeah. do I have the emotional wherewithal to listen to that message and then delete it? Or should I delete it first? And that's yeah. a boundary. Or should in I change my phone number? <laughs> or should I change my phone number? Right. It's like being it's being aware of like, you know, what um, what level of my drawbridge am I at? Right. Because yeah. some of us may be in a place in the relationship where you can listen to it and be like, OK, thanks. Then Yeah. OK. And then but not let it in emotionally. Or you're maybe in a place where you're like, mm, I can't even listen to that emotionally. And yeah, that's okay. because you know, it's going to mess you up for days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And and yeah. why go there, right? Why go there? Which, yeah. which brings me to another point. And I do think this happens a lot. And I'm interested into your perspective, too. But sometimes women actually do like to listen to get emotionally withdrawn in or it doesn't they don't like it. It's almost like a, a, a trauma cycle almost is that they like to yeah. I, I use like to because that's the only way I can describe it. But it's almost um, like an inability to not get engaged in some stuff Mm -hmm. like that, right? Like those women who might in that scenario of the voicemail thing might listen to the sense and then get emotionally wrapped up, even if they know better, right? Yeah, that used to be me. That used to be me, absolutely. Um, So I went through different cycles like that. um, And then it took a lot for me to say like, no, I'm not going to listen to these anymore. So with the boundaries, it's like, I was thinking while you were talking about it is that when you first create boundaries, you might go to the extreme and make your boundaries really rigid, you know, mm-hmm. and you might need that for a while. And, and what I mean by that is like really strong, intense boundaries that you do not let the bridge mm-hmm. down for any reason at all. Mm-hmm. And then once you feel safer and you feel like more um, confident and, and you have a strong footing in your, your stronghold, let's say, um, you you feel like you do have that ability to make your boundaries a little bit more flexible, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that that's like kind of a progression, um, a growth in, even in your healing too, right? Is to have that ability to, to recognize where you need rigid boundaries and where you're yeah. okay to have those flexible boundaries. Um, but I do think you're right that's, that people do get almost like addicted to certain emotions Mm-hmm. because they're like they're just so used to chaos right mm-hmm. it's like they're really like addicted to the chaos because they when they don't have the chaos it gets quiet right mm-hmm. and then it's like it gets a little freaky when it's quiet because it's like well then do I have to like investigate what's going on in mm-hmm. inside of my own self <laughs> totally yeah yeah, absolutely. I like that you the way you phrased it versus the way I phrased it, which makes it sound like my my people are like <laughs> liking drama. And it's not that. It's addicted to well, that emotion, that that drama cycle, right? And the chaos, right? It's the chaos and and all that. And I and I mean we know from neuroscience even that brains equilibrate to what they're used to, right? So if you mm-hmm. have had a life that is quite chaotic, it's it's actually very analogous to like a the newborn in the womb, right? The newborn in the womb gets quite equilibrated to movement and noise it's quite noisy in the womb right and then Mm -hmm. we bring that baby out into the you know a quiet room and we hope that they'll fall asleep in a dark room in a crib right and it's very noxious it's similar to someone who's lived with a very chaotic life right a lot of emotional upheaval if you've come from a a childhood that had a lot of emotional people, constant drama for lack of a better description it can be very noxious to go to all of a sudden 
silence or calmness or yeah. right where you don't have that. And, and then the brain is kind of seeking that same yeah. stimulation that it's become yeah. equilibrated to. You don't have the drama with your family, so then you go start some with your partner. <laughs> exactly, exactly, right? Exactly. So, yeah. So just awareness. I think it always comes down to awareness of why you're why we do what we do, right? Yeah, and, and awareness for sure. Yeah, and and I think that comes with the more personal development you do. So this is a very important conversation. I think yeah, this is really a conversation, good. yeah, that has to be had more often, right? I think more women yeah. need to hear from women about yeah. cutting out toxic relationships. Like I've done it in my life, you've done it in yours, right? We're, we're, yeah. we're women who go publicly about this and talk about it yeah. and put it on podcasts for crying out loud, right? And what, what was coming to mind for me right now is I just want to say this because for myself um, on my journey, I've come to a place of, of self-acceptance. And I want to break that, break that down a little bit. I also identify as a previously self-help junkie I was like really obsessed like really this is my life's work is to to fix this intergenerational trauma and to heal and I really had like I was like my own project like DIY you know fix Millie and that can be really damaging too so with the self-worth thing you got to come at it from a place of like I am already where like that intrinsic self that that worthiness comes regardless of whether I do this work Mm -hmm. you don't you can't like you can't like attach to this work as your 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 new source of value Uh you know that's just another part of the perfectionist trap right so there is value in personal development you know one of my posts recently I said like screw personal development I don't really mean that I mean like just be careful of your relationship with it be careful of it becoming your new perfectionist trap so that's where the self-acceptance piece came in for me is like I don't have to fix quote air quotes Mm -hmm. fix all of my you know like shadows and negative reactions and and you know all these different things it's just that I am getting better at using the tools in my toolbox right it's not it's not a part of me that I'm fixing it's that I'm using the tools to help me navigate my external reality and the person inside me is great already the way she is Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and then you'll never reach that point of like and now I'm done (laughs) yeah right there's always going to be and that's where the self-compassion comes in is that we're there is no done right is that you you you'll always want to feel like you work on some part of yourself but that it's also okay (laughs) yeah yes and it's just um like recognizing that uh that that person inside of us is is always there has always been there and we just get better at accessing her I love that I'm so glad that you brought that full circle because I do think that that's something and I remember that early early on in my own kind of journey of personal development that I, I remember feeling like, man, this is tiring. All of a sudden, why am I on this like mm-hmm. treadmill of reading the next personal development book and integrating the next strategy into my life and being like, oh, yeah. re-, you know, you realize you're like, oops, I've done totally it again. Exhausting. Here I go <laughs> with my perfectionism, right? Like, here we go. So, yeah. well, this was really, yeah. really, really awesome. It's and great. I really appreciate everything that you have shared because I think this, like I said, this is a conversation that we need to have more often and share, you know, those deep, kind of you know personal experiences but also in normalizing it and saying like it's okay if this is going on for you because I think this is a lot of the stuff that we keep in the closet we don't talk about this sort of stuff and um and it's so so powerful for women to hear a lot of these relationship podcasts that I've had on my podcast I get the most messages about people are like that episode was really amazing which which I don't know why I've been surprised but I've been surprised by that and it's of course because we don't talk about it enough we don't because I think people are like silently suffering because they think like, oh, it's shameful to have bad relationships with your family, you know? So the way to alleviate shame is to bring it out into the light, right? Absolutely. And you referenced Glennon Doyle Untamed, which I recognize because I also love it. That's like the manifesto I feel like of our, yeah. of our current generation. And I think that I'll put that in the resources as well on the show notes. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say in my, oh my gosh. my favorite book of all time is the gifts of imperfection by Brene Brown love that book so much that was really unexpected (laughs) for those ones uh for everyone who's listening and not watching Millie's cat just launched herself onto her shoulder (laughs) 
Wow. Okay. That was a great where, way to where, end where can, where can everybody find you online? Yeah. So I'm at Millie Fox on Instagram, M-I-L-L-I-F-O-X. And my website is milliefox.com. I actually have a worksheet. Um, if you just go milliefox.com slash worksheet, it's a six page uh, self-worth worksheet where people Ooh. can kind of work through some stuff. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. You're awesome. It's been so oh, nice chatting you. with you. Great. Really great conversation. And of course, if anybody has questions or wants to reach out to Millie, I'll invite her to the Facebook group or you, of course, can reach out to her on her platforms. And all of that will be on the show notes at carlycrew.com. And thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to the Mind Over Motherhood podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can get updated each week when a new episode is released. Have comments or questions about this episode? Reach out to me on either Instagram or Facebook at Carly Crew or through my website at carlycrew.com. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you could share it with someone you love or snap a screenshot and share it on social media. Be sure to tag me so I can say hello. As always, remember, you're meant for more mama and there's nothing wrong with that.